0: The Optimal Bio Podcast. At Optimal Bio, we don't just balance your hormones, we balance your whole body. Our conversations range from nutrition to medicine with an emphasis on wellness tips to support your health journey. If you like what you hear, find us on the web at OptimalBio.com and follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode.
1: Welcome to another edition of Optimal Bio Podcast. Today, we're grateful to have Kayla Laro with us. As always, uh, we've been in uh, interview mode over the last uh, month or so, uh, introducing uh, our new providers to Automobile. And as I said earlier, we're lucky to have Kayla with us today. So welcome, Kayla.
2: Thanks, Jim. It's so great to be here and be part of the team.
1: Hey, you seem really excited to do this.
2: I'm excited for everybody to get to know me a little bit better.
1: All right. So, uh, usually uh, instead of me introducing you, uh, we always allow the uh, the guests to introduce themselves to the audience. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background?
2: All right. Awesome. So, as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to be in medicine, and I don't really know why. I have no family history of anybody being in medicine Um but somehow, I found my journey, and I uh, went to Florida State for college. I'm originally from Florida, and I have my bachelor's in psychology, which I thought I wanted to go on and be a psychiatrist. And then uh, quickly learned I didn't think that was the best for me. And I stumbled upon PA and just loved that I could do any specialty, have the flexibility, and still kind of be really involved in patient care so I went to PA school at Barry University in Miami, Florida, um, which was a great experience, but I did not enjoy living in Miami. So after graduating down there, I just said, I need to get out and I need to do something different. And I stumbled into Raleigh. I had literally spent a day here on a road trip and I thought it was a really cool place. And I picked up and moved here. I originally worked in urgent care as my first job and i learned a ton but quickly learned i didn't enjoy it just didn't it was a lot going on and it wasn't the best support system for me so after that i fell into the world of urology Um, one of my good girlfriends worked or grew up with the doctor that I was working with there. So it was not something I was looking for there. Um, But I lucked out and I had a great team. And that's kind of how I found my passion for hormones, because I did a ton of hormone replacement there. Um, And then this year has just this past year is a difficult change for me. And I just needed an adjustment in my life. And I came across you guys. And it's been the biggest joy to kind of combine all of the worlds. And be happy in what I'm
1: doing. It's a fast and quick intro. So yeah. let's go back in time a little bit because I do want to explore uh, this interest in medicine. Um, you know, when you were 10 or 14 or 16, uh, you mentioned before there was nobody in your family that had any medical um, background. Um, but, you know, were you reading books? Were you, uh, was there a teacher or was there a... A pastor or was there, you know, somebody that influenced you at some point in time?
2: I really wish I knew. I think the furthest back that I can remember, I was in sixth grade and we were doing a project and it was, uh, what did you want, it, want to be? And I all along was like, I'm going to be an obstetrician. Like, I, I'm i an only child. I have no other siblings. I don't really know why. And then I joke with my mom that she remembers that when I was younger, when we would drive past, you know, an accident or an ambulance, and she did not want to see anything. She wanted as far away as she could get. And I would be turned around in my seat, wanting to try to see any little detail that I could. But other than that, there was really nothing that, you know, we were all healthy at that point I didn't have a lot of experience in a doctor's office um, that it wasn't until Really, I knew what I wanted to do. And then I was really fortunate in high school. Uh, my high school had a nursing, like a CNA nursing assistant program. So literally through high school, I was in the hospital doing rotations and training for that. And we actually did graduate with our CNA license at the time, which was kind of ironic because I got that at 17. And you literally couldn't even work until you were 18. Um but it just—it it came in handy. I ended up as a you know, part-time job when I was in college, working as a CNA. But other than that, I didn't have a lot of experience.
1: So tell me about some of the jobs you had in high school. What did you do?
2: Uh, well, in high school, I was a, a hostess at a restaurant. And I did that part-time and then my senior year, I actually worked full-time because I was in full dual enrollment. So I did like full college classes my senior year in high school at the state college in my hometown. Um, But I did that in high school and then in college, I did part-time as a CNA on an ortho floor at a hospital in Tallahassee and... I'm surprised because I didn't actually enjoy that. So orthopedics, like seeing the aftercare after recovery, after the surgeries, I mean, it was it was pretty brutal and it was ironic because going into PA school, I was like, I do not want to do ortho. I didn't even want to do a rotation orthopedics. And I think I was just kind of turned off from that. But another interesting thing is at Florida State, they have a first responder program. So it was three semesters in courses and then you could stay longer, but we responded to all the 911 calls on campus. So I got a lot of experience just kind of in, you know, EMS type of things while I was, you know, that was one of my classes while I was in college. And that kind of helped me, especially with all of my hours for PA school, so between those two things, I was just kind of working towards that journey.
1: So you never mentioned where you grew up, what hometown what are you from?
2: Yeah, so I'm from Stewart, Florida, which is about 30 minutes north of West Palm Beach.
1: Okay. So you're on the East Coast then?
2: Yep. Yep. So a little beachy town. grew up like 10 minutes from the beach, um, but I didn't actually spend a lot of time growing up at the beach. Uh, we, we liked pools, and I actually spent my summers on a lake in northern Wisconsin.
1: Wow. <laughs> it's interesting. Um,
2: <laughs> most people go to Florida, you escape there. it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: so why Florida State? Did you look at other schools when you were looking to go to college?
2: I did. I did. I applied to all of the major schools um, in Florida and you know, I think my dad wanted me to go somewhere else. My mom wanted me to go somewhere, but we had the best experience at Florida state. It was just, you know, we kind of drove into that campus and got lost. And another student got into our car with us to show us where we needed to go and got us into our, you know, the tour guide. Um, and then after our, campus tour. We were just taking the bus around and talking to the students and somebody else got off at the wrong stop with us so that they could show us where to go. So I just had a really great experience there. And when I found out I got in there, it was like really emotional for all of us. We were just really happy. I'm a first generation college grad. Nobody in my family had ever been to college um, prior to me. So that was just kind of huge for us. And I felt most at home there. I think my parents like to joke that I went to the furthest college in the state away from them.
1: (laughs) So were you there when the football team was actually good or?
2: Yep. They were great when I was there. So 2010 to 2014, we were there for two undefeated seasons and national champions. I mean, it was a, it was a really fun time to be at that campus. It's a little hard to be a Florida state fan nowadays.
1: Yeah, they're struggling still. Someday they'll get it back again. Um, So when you were the first responder doing that for a little while on campus, that must have been a lot of fun. Um, What were the most common things that you saw? And do you have any unusual stories around that time?
2: um, You know, we covered a lot of the sports that we played. We were at every baseball game, every football game. So, you know, yes, there was a handful of drunken accidents, incidents, some people getting hit with the baseballs were pretty common. Um, Fender benders on campus was pretty normal too. Lots of, you know, migraines and just flu-like symptoms. But we saw a whole handful of, I mean, of everything that I was surprised. I mean, I had one call where a student had attempted to commit suicide off campus by cutting their throat. Um, And obviously, they did not cut deep enough. And they walked onto campus and went to Starbucks to get a drink. And Starbucks then called us. Um, So they obviously were not thinking in their right mind, but we really saw everything while we were there.
1: Yeah, because it's a pretty big campus too. I mean, it's what, 20 plus thousand students?
2: Oh yeah. I think it's, yeah, I want to say maybe it's around 30.
1: Okay. All right. So then you're in school and you're going to go to PA school. Did you ever think about becoming a doctor and going to a regular med- medical school?
2: Oh yes. Yeah. So I initially went in thought I was going to be a therapist. And, um, at that point I realized that that wasn't the best option for me. And I just wanted to be a little bit more challenged. Then I was like, I'm going to go to med school and I'm going to be a psychiatrist. Um, and then I started taking all the prereqs for med school and chemistry too, just made me realize that I didn't think that was going to be the best option for me. Those classes were a lot harder than I expected. And I think I'm a pretty good student. Um, and that's why I just, I started researching other things, you know, what's similar in medicine prior to that. I didn't really know anything about PA or NP, um, I don't know. Again, I don't know why, like I'm, my hometown's pretty small. Um, but after that, that my freshman summer, I realized I wanted to be a PA and I kind of just jumped right into that. So I got really involved in Florida State's campus. I was part of the pre-med um, honor society. And then they had a pre PA program. And so I got involved with that. And my sophomore year, I was the secretary of that club. And then my senior year ended up becoming the president of the club just to kind of help everybody be aware and know kind of the processes and like things to look for. And they had speakers. Um, I was a little nerdy in college, but still had my amount of fun. Um, but I was pretty involved in all of the programs to kind of do the best and get into grad school.
1: So the interest in psychiatry, um, were you, the, the friend that, you know, always, you know, able help your friends in terms of their anxiety and other things? Um, like why that?
2: Um, I do kind of consider myself the mom of the group of most of my friends, even though I tend to be the actual baby of the group. Um, But I started seeing a therapist in high school. My parents just didn't really like my attitude with adults at the time. Um, I wanted to be the independent woman that I thought I could be. And, you know, obviously I didn't know everything. And I just loved my therapist the, I, I would go have lunch with her, um, you know, during high school. And she was a great influence on me that made me want to go into the psychology side.
1: Okay. So w- were you not talking to adults when you were a kid or w- what was the deal there?
2: <laughs> uh, I really, know. I, I, most of my, all, all my friends, parents loved me. Uh, I don't know. I just I think I just wanted to be independent and I wanted to, you know, have my car and go do my own things. And I thought I knew best and obviously they weren't ready for that.
1: <laughs> Trying to go up a little too fast, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get to PA school and is it everything that you expected?
2: Um, it was, very hard and very difficult and I really I did not have the best experience getting into PA school so I applied to like 15 different schools and I applied to a lot of -of out-of-state schools I've kind of always had the itch to go out of state Um, it just didn't work out at that time but I had only had two interviews my first year and I got waitlisted at both schools And, you know, the week before classes started, I was calling the programs, you know, did you have an opening? Did I get in? And I didn't. So at that point, I had actually already reapplied my second year. I was working full time at the time. I'd already graduated. um, And I had had interviews set up for the following year. And then it was a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock, I got a call that I got into one of the schools if I could be there on Monday. And I'd actually missed the whole first week of orientation. So, all the students were already there. They already knew what was going on. So, I literally packed up my apartment at the time, put everything in a U-Haul and drove down to Miami to be at school on Monday. I had no place to live. I put everything in storage. So, I got off to a really rocky start in PA school because I was trying to study and learn and also find a place to live and kind of get my life back on track. So, I really struggled that first semester. I'd actually gotten recommended for academic probation, that I had tutors, cause I was failing exams because I didn't have time to study um, up front. So that was really hard for me, especially coming from I'm a straight A student, had a you know great GPA that I felt like I was failing in life at that point. Um, had actually slept through one of my finals just because PA school is exhausting. That first year is so crammed into one year that I would sleep only, you know, two, three hours a night and wake up and study more. Um but you just kind of get used to it, that everybody's kind of in the same boat. Um, you just kind of keep chugging along. And now I look back on it, and I don't even remember that time that it felt like such a blur. But once you get past that first year, it was everything I had expected. You know, second year is all of your rotations and finding what you liked, and it just got a lot better.
1: Well, maybe your parents were onto something when you were in high school where you wanted to, you know, be Miss independent and, um you know, realizing that, you know, it's one thing to, to go hop in your car and go do some stuff and you can get back you can go back home every single night. But when you're truly on your own in college, it's a different story, especially in PA school. So yeah. any, um, was there something that happened where you're struggling in school? And did somebody say something to you at some point in time, or did you just have an awakening at some point and say, okay, you know, I have to do things a little bit different here. And, um, you know, just to get yourself through.
2: My program did a really good job of kind of guiding us and kind of trying to intervene. Like I said, getting us, you know, the students that were in the classes above us kind of became our tutors. Um, but after that first semester, you know, kind of the start of new classes and just kind of getting more comfortable with, you know, my classmates becoming my friends and you know my support system, it became a lot easier at that point.
1: And then, are you doing rotations and like during the summer months or during your third year in PA school?
2: Yeah. So my program was 27 months and it's straight through. So that first, I think it was just the first two semesters. No, I don't know. The first half is all just classwork. And then the um, second year is all rotations. We did eight rotations, six weeks each, and then you would come back for, you know classes to review everything and kind of prove that you learned the skills that you needed. Um, and then our last semester, which is kind of like an extra month or two months that gave us the extra time to study like for our boards and we could do an extra rotation at that point. And we had to write a pretty big thesis paper, um, as part of our master program.
1: So knowing what you know now, if you were, had your own PA school, You know, what types of programs would you put the students through? Would they be different than what you went through?
2: Um, I think rotation wise, it would have been nice to, you know, I did eight rotations, which I can't complain about that. Um, But I would have liked to have seen some other specialties. You know, they kind of make you do the generic, you know, family medicine and geriatric, pediatric, um, general surgery. So all like the main ones that are more like hospital run. And I I would have loved to have kind of experimented more in different forms of medicine. I think that would have been a good change. Otherwise, I mean, I think they taught us everything we needed. But when you're on rotation, you only you only see what you see that day. And that's kind of why they make the rotations longer so that you have more experience to do that. Um, Looking back on it, I did also really enjoy that my program was a little longer. So a lot of PA programs are only 24 months. And I really liked having those additional three months. Just I'm not a great test taker. I was very nervous to take the boards. Um, So to be able to have that prep time to kind of study thoroughly really helped me. Um, it was kind of funny when I took my boards. I had to take it in Orlando, Florida, which is like two hours north of my parents' house where I was staying at the time. And I finished my exam and I got in the car and I cried for the first hour on my drive back because I was convinced I had failed. Um, and you typically have to wait about two weeks for your your results. And that first week I was so down. like I did not want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to talk about my experience. And then I found out on Christmas Eve that I had passed and it was the best Christmas present. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's great. It's a great story. I thought you were going to tell me you went to Disney World afterwards. <sighs>
2: You know, kind of another thing. Grown in Florida, we never really went to Disney World.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, having gone down there probably seven or eight times, uh, you know, as a kid and then also with my kids, um, I have no desire to go back. So I could see where it could get pretty old uh, pretty quickly. Personally, I think it's there. a little
2: overrated.
1: Yeah. I'd like to rather go to the real things instead of the, the make-believe stuff. Um, so obviously you're as a, you know, person just knowing you a little bit, I know you're into health, um, nutrition. Um, obviously you believe in what Automobio is doing. Otherwise you wouldn't have come to work there. Uh, when you're back in school though, and then you're, you know, you're working as a PA, um, and you're trying to diagnose patients. Um, you're trying to figure out what's wrong with them. I mean, it, w- was there ever any training as it related to, you know, looking at what people are eating other than their traditional, you know, if somebody's overweight, for example, you know, there's always discussions or diagnoses around, well, you might stand to lose a few pounds. Otherwise you might get a, have a heart attack at some point in time. But, um, there were, was there any classes about healing through food or, or anything along those lines? But, you know, when you were going through school and then when you were, uh, in your early stages of your PA career?
2: Not really. So definitely no classes. Um, I think functional medicine is kind of poo-pooed in a lot of medical programs just because that's not the you know typical of what we're supposed to do. I will say I had two rotations that touched on it a little bit. Um, so my family medicine rotation, I actually did down in the Florida Keys. So my program sent me to live in Big Pine for six weeks and that's just a different way of life down there you know there's not many providers and they kind of saw everything so they kind of did more take take a more functional approach you know let's look at the whole picture um so i saw a little bit of it there and then surprisingly my OBGYN rotation my doctor was not, not that he went a lot into health but if people were overweight and unhealthy trying to get pregnant he had no problems telling them that But other than that, they didn't really, which is just kind of sad that medicine is just from the few years I've been in it, you know, it's really changed that it's it's not as much about the patient anymore, that it's seeing the number of people and the correct number of billing and here's your band-aid, get out, let's go, and not really looking at the root causes. And um, that was a that was a really big thing for me in urgent care. I think that's why that was not a good fit for me, because you'd see those people once, maybe twice. Here's your antibiotics. If you're not better, go follow up with your primary doctor, you know. I was never seeing how they did. I wasn't following up with them. It just kind of felt like a Band-Aid at the time. Um, And I got really sick of arguing with people why why their colds didn't need antibiotics. But I wish I would have had a different approach um, in my studies to kind of make me think more at the time. You know, let's look at the bigger picture. Let's figure out why things are happening.
1: Are things programmed to the point today where PAs in the room with somebody and, you know, to you, let's say years ago, and, uh, you know, you're talking to the patients and you're on your laptop and you're putting things in and then the the software basically is telling you what to prescribe or what to do. Is that how it works now?
2: Yeah, a lot of like in the way that you ask a patient about their history or you ask them about their issue, it'll kind of prompt, you know, yes or no. Do you have this or do you have that? um, That it's medicine has become a lot of clicking through the, you know, documentation system. And it's, you know, we're we're taught in school, you know, you, you document to cover yourself, that if you don't document that it's not really about the patient anymore, it just it matters what you write down on the piece of paper. But yeah, the paper is just kind of telling you, what to do. And it's, it's funny when you talk to doctors that have been doing this a long time, they used to dictate their note and they're like, I love dictation. Like I could just sit there and ramble off everything. And then to a newer grad, I'm like, what do you mean dictation? Like I need it to tell me what I'm supposed to be looking for and supposed to be ruling out. Is That's just the way we're taught.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause it's, you know, to your point earlier, it just seems, you know, that it's, um, there's a lot of demand. Obviously, patients are coming in, they're sick. Um, you need to get through and see them all. And, you know, there's a process, I guess, that's put in place now where they've depersonalized medicine. And, you know, because we have all this great technology, um, you know, there's not a... Would you say that there, because of all that, there really isn't um, the, 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 I guess, the ability or the, um, the opportunity to, you know, be able to, have you think and uh and then really understand what that patient is going through and then put them on the right course um and in essence have they taken the thinking out of uh, out of doctoring
2: i mean more just from i think people are sicker and they have more medical issues kind of by the time they get to you And then you just don't have the time to explore all of that. Like maybe there is just really one thing that they're not doing right. That's, you know, kind of causing all of these changes. But they've got so many, you know, you have to manage so many different medications. And that's another thing, you know, we live in this world where, you know, we're medication for everything. And, oh, if you get a side effect from that medication, don't worry, I have another medication that will fix the side effect. And we're not really counseling people, you know, long-term, what could this cause? Or if we do this, what's going to happen? If we don't do this, what's going to happen? Um, but it's just, it has, it's become depersonalized. And I think insurance is a big role in that too. You know, we don't have to follow not maybe true standards, but just the standards set by insurance. Or, you know, if I know I wanted to do something, but I couldn't because insurance wouldn't approve it. It's made it difficult.
1: So you leave urgent care, you get into urology, Mm -hmm. is that, that, and were you at a specialist at that point in time? Were you in a big practice with, you know, 15 different docs and kind of give us a description of what that was like.
2: Yeah, so it's a pretty big private practice in the area. There were 17 physicians and we had nine APPs, so PAs, nurse practitioners at the time. So I personally worked in the Raleigh office. So I worked closely with nine of the physicians and then we had five APPs. Um, And I was really mainly only doing outpatient. So just in our office, I was really fortunate. I think a lot of people think of urology as a male specialty, um, but I worked most closely with our female board certified doctor. Um, so he would see 50, 50 about men and women. So I really did see a lot of men and women, um, So I think I kind of got lucky there, but it was still, it was a big group and a lot of changes. And we covered two hospitals in the area. Um, And I think you learn very quickly when you're in school, whether you want to work in a hospital or an outpatient facility. And I personally did not enjoy the hospital. Um, And I just kind of had to do that more and more um, that that kind of changed my outlook on it. But I did get to see, you know, urology is a specialty but you see a wide variety of things that it still is entertaining and keeps you busy. Um, but I enjoyed it.
1: Is that where you first were exposed to hormone replacement therapy?
2: It is. Yep. So, we so mainly before you
1: got in, before you got into it, what were your thoughts on it?
2: Um, before I started doing it, I never really knew anything about it. I mean, I hear, you know, in high school knew about, you know, people at the gym may be taking steroids, but other than that, I had never really heard of any type of hormone replacement.
1: So then how'd you stumble upon that then?
2: Um, so in urology? Yeah. Yeah. So we did a, a mostly male replacement there. So um, we did a you know, all types of treatment there. So we did Testapel or the synthetic brand testosterone. We would treat with injections. We would treat with topicals and creams, um, you know, some of the newer oral medications. So I've found that there, but I was kind of seeing a big issue with insurance again so you know what they say is normal where a patient their levels should be and just kind of proving so once a year we would typically have to have a patient come off of therapy so that their levels dropped back down so that we could still prove that they needed the treatment that we were trying to give Um, and then just changes throughout the year of you know initially they would cover 12 pellets of testapel and then they were only covering six. It's like you were cutting the dose in half, which we already were having issues with to begin with, but I did get to see a wide variety there.
1: It's crazy, right? Because patient's probably feeling a lot better, Um, you know, whatever their uh, symptoms are, it's probably, they're being mitigated. Um, And then you got to take somebody off as if they're you know, in a clinical trial, so to speak, to see what happens. Um, It's just, it's, uh, that must have been frustrating to see that.
2: And it's just, it's kind of like torture for the patient. It's like, this is a chronic issue that is it just that we don't, we can't accept that from the insurance world, that they think it's just going to magically correct itself one day. (laughs)
1: So you do that, and then suddenly you you stumble upon Optimal Bio. Um, So tell us how you got recruited into Optimal Bio.
2: Yeah, so I think it was all just right timing. Um, I don't even remember who it was, but somebody I was talking to at my old job, they knew that I had been looking for a new job, and they knew what I was already doing. And they're like, why don't you look at some of the hormone places in town? And I knew that there were some, but I couldn't have told you the name of any place. And that was on a Thursday. And then that weekend I saw a job posting for Optimal Bio. Kind of crazy.
1: Didn't you come over and um, you know, what, what convinced you that this was the place for you?
2: So I really just like the the passion here. So talking with Dr. Brannon, he's so knowledgeable and so passionate um, about the patients and just kind of about their general wellness. Um, I liked how happy everybody was here. So I had kind of left a toxic work environment and I wanted a happier, more supportive environment. But also just for me personally, over the last few years, I've just tried to make little changes in my life to expand to reduce my risk of environmental toxins, of healthier beauty products, of healthier cleaning products. Um, I've I've learned a lot more um, just in like skincare products of what the US regulates and doesn't regulate. And I love that we're also trying to do that here at Optimal Bio, that the things that people just don't realize because we don't, maybe don't have the knowledge about the things that are affecting our bodies long-term, things that we're exposed to every day. So that was kind of a huge thing for me that I wanted to be a better person. I want to make my health last longer, um, the best that I can. And I love that you guys did that here.
1: So I take it when you were in in the urology practice, they weren't trying to figure out what might be harming testosterone in the individual.
2: No, I mean, it was a, here's your prescription, which way do you want to start first? Or what will your insurance cover first?
1: (laughs) So just to go back for a second, you said you had exposure to multiple different types of um, hormone treatments, the creams, the shots, you know, the pellets, the manufactured pellets. Um, Based on your experience and comparing that to our BHRT pellet, um, tell us a little bit about the creams, you know, the positives and the negatives to that, the shots, uh, if you were educating me at this point in time, if we were having a consult, um, kind of walk me through the, the pros and cons of all of those.
2: Yeah. So kind of the exact same things that we say here. Um, You know, most patients wanted to start with some topical. So gel or cream or patch. Um, Some people loved them. Most people did not. You know, it just doesn't get your level high enough to maintain, to really notice a difference. I also just find that a lot of them were hard to use. You know, you have to get it on. You have to let it dry. You know, changes when you get dressed. You don't want to be around kids until it dried that most people just didn't really enjoy topicals and creams, um, injections. Again, some people love, some people didn't. The the main doctors that I worked with in urology weren't the biggest fans of injections just because we want to maintain that steady level and injections don't do that. So get really, really high, get really, really low, really, really high and really, really low. And yeah, I mean, you can kind of change the dose here and there, but you're still making a lot of adjustments. It's something that you have to think about whether you're injecting multiple times a week or every other week. I mean, I can't even remember to do something, you know, once or twice a week. Um, So again, most people really didn't enjoy that and they didn't want to give themselves shots. Um, That I did a lot of pellets at my old job with Testapel, so the synthetic. Um, Obviously, I do think there's a much bigger difference kind of in long term and just for general health with bioidentical versus synthetic. And I do think that providers maybe don't even myself, I wasn't doing the best job of always explaining that to people. Um, But we did, you know, it, I think patients understood that, you know, if you do synthetics, you know, that maybe your body isn't going to continue to produce your testosterone because you're artificially giving it. And I think, I don't know, maybe patients thought that that wouldn't happen to them or that they would bounce right back and some people do but some people don't um, So that's what I love about the bioidentical We're just telling your body naturally what it should be doing so that that's been huge for me because I again I want to be in a world where I keep my world more natural and healthier and we want people to be at their optimal health.
1: Do you see any side effects side effects with the synthetic pellet? that were different let's say than the the natural pellet that we use
2: um i think you know same kind of side effect around like the incision site you know just a little tenderness obviously i don't think people noticed as much of a change in their levels we were doing men more often they would come in about every three months because we were giving them a lower dose of the pellets um you know maybe some people we we didn't always monitor their estrogen as well. Um, So, you know, some men could kind of get some breast tenderness some breast enlargement. Um, But other than that, we didn't see a ton of side effects from the men.
1: So tell us a little bit about yourself personally. What do you like to do for fun?
2: Yeah, so I like to be outside. Um, I like to hike. I have a dog, so I'll take her kind of with me on every hike. I like to go paddle boarding. I'm also nerdy in that I like to read. I listen to audiobooks, which some people don't consider that reading, Um, but I love audiobooks. I love to cook, I love to bake. Um, and just hang out with my friends. I'm, I'm always wanting to try new places. I consider myself a bit of a foodie. Um, so always just kind of trying new restaurants, new cooking techniques, but just good quality time.
1: As a hiker, have you traveled to the West?
2: I have. So I love blowing rock is probably my favorite. Um, And then, you know, obviously Boone kind of right next to it, but I'm obsessed with the mountains. I think I'm like a little kid in the fall. I'm picking up all the leaves because coming from Florida, I didn't have any of that.
1: You probably didn't have a lot of hills down by the coast either, right?
2: Sand dunes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So have you been West, West, like Colorado, California, you know,
2: yeah, Have you hiked
1: anything in the state parks out there?
2: So I went actually this summer, this past July, I went out to um, Denver and Moab, Utah for my first time out that way. And I loved Moab, just so beautiful. I will say July is not the best time to go out there. Um, it was really hot, but we loved it. And then a couple of years ago, I went to Yellowstone for the first time. And that that's probably been my favorite national park so far. Um, just with how many different things in, in just in the park, you feel like you're kind of in different worlds. And we did a lot of hiking out there.
1: So what's your favorite meal?
2: My favorite meal. Um, I say I grew up in an Italian family, so I love Italian food, but I try not to eat all the carbs from Italian food, um, very often, but I think I could probably eat like a Mediterranean Greek dish every day if I had to.
1: <laughs> and what's your biggest vice from a food's perspective?
2: Ooh. Uh, sweets are are uh, they they pull at my heart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think they pull at 95% of the uh, people's hearts.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh advising patients, you know, if somebody does have a big sweet tooth, um you know, other than eliminating sweets from your diet, you know, what are some of the cool substitutions you can do for sweets to get people to, to still get that sweet, I guess, satisfaction, so to speak. Um, but also become healthier.
2: Um, I will say anything, you know, is fine in moderation. I I do like, you know, my fruits, but I can't compare that to replacing my sweets. Um, I try to do like a low carb, low sugar, and I didn't realize when I first started doing that how many different alternatives there are to baking. People think you really can't have, you know, anything chocolatey or sweet. And there are so many great alternatives that are very easy to cook using, you know, almond flour and erythritol. So um, I think that's kind of the biggest thing watching that don't spike your glycemic index, uh, but are still pretty delicious but anything in moderation is still fine
1: yeah i can't remember the ingredients but uh i tried i read somewhere where you could do this brownie but it was a and i'm not a vegan by the way but it was you know all plant-based and it was supposed to look good on on the uh screen but i made it and it was the worst possible thing i've ever eaten in my life and one of my daughters is not vegan but she's more on the vegan side than than the rest of our family and she didn't like it either so i will caution the audience you have to be really careful about you know trying to substitute for from the real thing sometimes
2: i will say not everything i made was very good and uh, whether my friends uh, said it really was and then tossed it in the trash later
1: So I believe that God gives us, you know, gifts, right? And so you as a PA and you as a human being, you know, what are your gifts that um, that help you be the, the best PA you can be?
2: So that's a great question. I'd say that I'm very compassionate. Um, I'm a pretty emotional person myself. So I just kind of like to have that emotional connection to people to kind of understand their background and their thought process and kind of their bigger views on life and what they're trying to improve. So I think that really helps me as a provider because that's a big thing for PAs. You know, I want the patient to be involved in their own care as well. I want them to be educated and make decisions and just being able to help them find the right tools and articles to educate themselves so that we're working together as a team um, to kind of get everybody to their best.
1: Very good. So we always ask the guests to give us five takeaways uh, that they want to impart their wisdom uh, on the audience. So we're at the end of our our show here. So uh, why don't you give us your five takeaways?
2: All right. So my five takeaways... I would say get outside and get your sunshine, live life to your fullest. I've I've learned that uh, tomorrow is not always guaranteed. I'd say to find your core people, whether your family, your friends, you know, people that you can rely on through the happy times and the tough times. I'd say hmm, that was only three. Be healthy, that you know it's very, very easy to kind of get into our bad habits, but we know that people have so much more energy and feel better when they're kind of motivated to do things to better themselves. And I say eat good, healthy meals. That'd be good.
1: All right. Kayla, <laughs> thank you for your time today. For those out there listening to us come see Kayla. She's really good. She's great to be around. And uh, we're grateful to have her at Optimal Bio. So thank you, Kayla.
2: Well, thanks, Jim. And looking forward to meeting everybody.
0: This has been a production of Optimal Bio. Optimal Bio is CEO, Tyler Brannon, podcast host and partner, Jim Baker, medical director, Greg Brannon, Production assistance by Core Media. Beth Gravencourt, Administrator. Kevin Duthu, Executive Producer. The podcast can be found on our website, OptimalBio.com, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Our theme song is Sunwave by Paradiso, provided by Epidemic Sound.